0: Hello New Pen, and all those who are tuning in right now. I wish I could see you with your new haircuts and your big smiles. I hope you're starting to reach out and that others are reaching out to you and that you're growing in confidence as we've started to experience some of the new freedoms over the last couple of weeks. Today we're continuing in our Hebrew series, Jesus the Better Way. I'm not sure how you're finding it but i found it really helpful to be reminded again of how great Jesus is. And to think about all the reasons why we can elevate him to number one in our life. So the first four weeks in Hebrews was focused on Jesus, the the superiority of Christ. And today we're in Hebrews chapter 8 and we'll begin to look at the superiority of the new covenant by exploring God's promises to us and to his people throughout the Old Testament and how those promises point directly to his ultimate promise to us in Jesus. Let's pray together before we start. Loving Father God, we look to your word this morning and we ask that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to be moved by you and to grow closer to you. And give us the desire to put into practice what we hear this week. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You might have seen this ad on TV for a superannuation company. The ever-reliable voice of actor John Woods is used as a voiceover for this ad, persuading the viewer to switch to industry super funds because they believe they can provide you with a better outcome. They are all but promising it. Ads like these are quite compelling until the fine print is quietly spoken at the end. Past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This company and ones like it are wanting to promise you the world But they can't guarantee anything. Today, we're wanting to explore God's promises, both from the Old Testament and the New. Kylie last week spoke about Jesus being superior to priests, and that because God made him the high priest, we can approach God with a new confidence. Then, verse 6 of Hebrews 8 introduces the idea of covenants and that this new covenant to which Jesus is a mediator is superior to the old covenant because it is founded on better promises. So in order to compare the old covenant with the new, we first need to understand the term covenant. According to the Cambridge dictionary, a covenant is a formal agreement or promise between two or more people. It's described elsewhere as a binding contract or a set of promises agreed upon by two or more parties. The Nelson's Bible Dictionary says that a covenant in the biblical sense implies much more than a contract or a simple agreement. A contract always has an end date, while a covenant is a permanent arrangement. Maybe you might be wondering, why do we need to bother about understanding all that old covenant stuff? Can't we just focus on the new and on Jesus and what he's done for us and how that impacts our life now? Well, yes, we can take that approach, But it's a bit like this. I recently watched a drama on Channel 9 called Halifax Retribution. Strangely enough, I like a good crime, police, legal series. It was set in Melbourne, which piqued my interest, and it had Rebecca Gibney in it and a few other cast members that I've enjoyed watching before. Now, there have previously been six seasons called Halifax FP, starring Gibney as Dr Jane Halifax, a forensic psychiatrist who works with the police to investigate the mental state of victims and suspects. I've not watched any of those previous Halifax seasons. And as I was watching this latest Halifax, I was enjoying what I was watching. It was gripping and it got me in. I couldn't wait for the next episode. But I couldn't help thinking that I probably would have appreciated the show more had I understood more deeply the backstory, particularly of Dr Jane Halifax but even some of the other characters too. I enjoyed the show, but maybe it would have held a deeper significance had I seen the previous six seasons. You see, we can understand what Jesus has done for us on the cross, accept him into our life as our Lord and Saviour, continue to live our life with him as our King and look forward to eternity with him, But what if we miss out on some of the depth and significance of our relationship with him because we haven't looked into the backstory? You might say, yeah, but I like the New Testament part of the Bible better. Well, I'm not a huge reader, unlike the others in my house who seem to consume books like they're going out of fashion. And I'm always fascinated when someone says, I didn't really like books one and two of the series, but book three is amazing. Well, my question is, how can book 3 be amazing without the help of books 1 and 2? So let's look at Hebrews chapter 8, verses 6 to to 13. Grab your Bibles, and my friends Annalee and Julia are going to read it for us. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 6 to 13. Today we will be reading from Hebrews chapter 8, verses 6 to 13. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor, or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will will forgive their wickedness, and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Thanks, Annalee and Julia, that was really well read. I read an article about politicians and promises recently. Now, I'm not much into politics, and I can hear you all saying, don't go there, Joss, not this week of all weeks. And I won't, except to introduce the idea of promises. In this Australian article, it said this about a previous Prime Minister. Mr Abbott set a high standard when it comes to keeping promises. In 2011, he said, It's an absolute principle of democracy that governments should not and must not say one thing before an election and do the opposite afterwards. But another previous Prime Minister, Mr Turnbull, said this about election promises. When governments change policies, it's often seen as a backflip or a backtrack or an admission of error. That is rubbish. We've got to be agile all the time, he says. When you do an internet search on politicians and promises, it's like opening a very huge can of worms. The problem is that we expect promises to be kept, but it's very hard for humans to keep promises. A friend and I were talking about this, particularly about wedding vows. Even when you think about it, a couple getting married is entering into a covenant with each other. But they can't guarantee that they'll be able to fulfill all the promises they make on their wedding day 100% of the time. Yet when the vows are made, they are heartfelt and they're what the couple are aspiring to. For example, when I promised to Rob in our wedding vows that I would put his needs ahead of mine, I meant it and I still mean it. But do I achieve it every day? No. The point I want to make is that human promises are hard to keep because we're human. We have no understanding of what life might throw at us in 10 minutes' time, let alone the ability to guarantee right now how we'll behave in 10 years' time. And the writer to the Hebrews picks up on this in verses 7 and 8 of Hebrews 8, where he says, "'For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another.' But God found fault with the people. And he goes on to quote God's promise in Jeremiah about the new covenant. The writer is saying uh, that the reason a new covenant was needed was because God found fault with the people, not because the covenant itself was faulty or because God changed his mind or he quickly had to rustle up another plan. No, God is God and his promise to bring his people to himself has never changed but his people are human, and humans have difficulty keeping promises. So the new covenant was made. So let's backtrack a little and figure out what the writer is referring to as the old covenant. There are several covenants in the Old Testament that God makes with his people. The first being with Noah and his creation, when he promises, never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. Genesis 9.11 says God put a rainbow in the sky as a sign of this covenant. Later in Genesis, God initiates a covenant with Abraham, promising to make him into a great nation with descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And he would bring them to a land where they would be a blessing to all peoples on earth. God promises to Abraham that he would be his God and the God of all his descendants after him. God says what he will do in this everlasting covenant. Abraham agrees to it, and God says to him in Genesis 17:9 what he must do to keep the covenant. He says, "As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. And in verse 11, you are to undergo circumcision, and that will be a sign of the covenant between me and you." So Abraham and his descendants follow the terms of this covenant. His descendants grew in number, but they end up in slavery in Egypt. And in Exodus 2, we read, God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. And by Exodus 12, 430 years after his initial covenant with Abraham, God appoints Moses as their leader. He brings the Israelites out of Egypt and the people prepare to meet God at the foot of Mount Sinai. Moses goes up the mountain to meet with God and God says to Moses to tell his people, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And what does Israel respond with? We will do everything the Lord has said. Dramatic scenes follow with thunder and lightning and God reveals to Moses the Ten Commandments, which spell out the terms and conditions by which the Israelites must live in order to be in good relationship with God and each other. All of which is spelt out in Exodus 20 to 23, which is later referred to as the Book of the Covenant. We won't go into all of that today, But just to say that after hearing all the terms of the covenant, the Israelites in Exodus 24, 7 say again, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. The covenant was made official by the sprinkling of blood from the sacrificed animals. And that sign was the blood of the covenant. So we see in this covenant between God and his people, the terms of these promises that are set out and agreed upon. Notice that in this covenant, God is predominantly promising the type of life that they will experience on earth, the status they will hold, the protection they'll be given, that they'll be belong to God and be set apart, but only if they're obedient. God doesn't speak of eternity here, but we can look back now and say it was a foreshadowing of the promises that God would go on to fulfill. We did some shadow drawings during homeschooling, not something I'd thought of doing before, but it was quite fun. You can see that a tracing of the shadow of a dinosaur makes it clear that it's a dinosaur, but of course the detail of the dinosaur is not able to be shown. Shadows don't show the full picture, and not all the detail is clear. But even if the Israelites only understood God's promises to be about their current situation, wow! What promises they were. The Israelites would be God's treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, protected from their enemies. The list goes on. But what happens next with the Israelites is that before even getting to the promised land, Israel is already becoming rebellious. And over the next seven centuries, this rebellion and unfaithfulness becomes their trademark and effectively means they've abandoned their part of the covenant. And by the time this quote from Jeremiah 31 that we've got in our Hebrews passage today comes about, God has allowed the northern ten tribes of Israel to be conquered and taken into captivity, and the Babylonians are about to take, the, take Judah as well. God says to the prophet Jeremiah in response to Israel's rebellion, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. So through Jeremiah, God reveals this plan for a new covenant with his people but clearly states that it will be different and why? because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, he says in verse 9. In the 2017 movie Wonder Woman, she says, we made a deal, Steve Trevor, and a deal is a promise, and a promise is unbreakable. Well, unfortunately, promises aren't as simple for humans as Wonder Woman would like. The problem with the old covenant was that God found fault with the people because they could not keep their promise and remain faithful. God still desired a relationship with his people. He still wanted to bless them. And the law or the way he wanted them to live remained the same. But they had gone astray and could not uphold uphold the promises to God. And so a new way was required. And as verse 6 of our Hebrews passage says today, the covenant that Jesus brings uh, uh, brings about is superior because it is based on better promises. Promises that don't rely on humans getting it right. So what are these better promises that the writer to the Hebrews highlights? Well, under the new covenant, the people will be filled with the Holy Spirit. God promises that there will be an inward power that each person will experience, with God placing his law in their hearts and minds. No one will be able to say that they didn't know the rules or have the power to follow them. You know, like in the school ground when a game of soccer springs up and the rules of the game seem to evolve according to the kid who seems to be in charge. And you can hear the other kids saying, but we didn't know that kicking it over there was out of bounds. No one told us that. Well, the law of the old covenant revealed clearly what was right and wrong, but it didn't give people the power to do the right and resist the wrong. But God changes that in this new covenant. And where does this inward power come from in this new covenant? Well, we now know that it comes from the Holy Spirit who leads and guides us and also convicts us of sin. Paul says to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 1.4, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. Secondly, the people will be free to know God. The promise of a deep and secure knowledge of and relationship with God is assured for all. Verses 10 and 11, I will be their God and they will be my people. They will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. This promise is extended to all. There is no exclusive list of who can know God and who can't. This relationship is not just for the priest or the rich or the popular. It's for all. And not only that, but there is a sense of belonging. I will be their God and they will be my people. And the final promise given about the new covenant in this passage is one that underpins all the others. And we know that because of the word for in verse 12. Those who accept the new covenant will be filled with the Holy Spirit. They'll be free to know God intimately. And in verse 12, God says, For... I will give their, forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. God promises everlasting forgiveness. We will be forgiven forever. All of what God said about this new covenant is all possible because he will forgive us and wipe our slate clean. There won't be uncertainty of where you stand with God like in Old Testament times. Have I done all that I need to do to be right? Have I made the right sacrifices? Have I lived up to my part of the covenant? For when God sent Jesus to die on the cross, all that needed to be done to bring us into eternal relationship with God was done once. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. And later in Hebrews 10.10, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Jesus himself affirmed this when he was dying on the cross. He said, it is finished. So if all that is needed to be done to bring us into relationship with God is done, what is left then for us to do? Well, nothing apart from accepting it. You see, if I had to choose which I preferred between the old and the new covenant, well, the new wins every time. We said at the start that a covenant was an agreement or promise between two or more parties. So in this new covenant, God has promised us a new life now and eternity with him, never separated from him. And our side of the deal is to accept the gift, to say, yes, God, I accept your promise to me. I accept, God, that you sent Jesus to earth to reveal to us more of who you are, to show us that you love us, to bring us back after we'd strayed away from you. When accepting God's promise, we're saying, I believe that Jesus died and rose again to make it possible for me to be close to you so that I would be filled with the Holy Spirit, have that inward power and understand how God wants me to live so that I can be free to know God in a real and intimate way and so that I can be forgiven forever, meaning that God will remember my sins no more. You may never have accepted that promise from God before and in this moment we're going to pray a simple prayer which you can pray along with. Let's pray. Father God, today I want to accept your promise because I understand that you have done all that needs to be done for me to be in relationship with you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died and rose again so that I can spend eternity with you. Thank you that I am forgiven and that your Holy Spirit lives in me to guide and direct my path. Thank you that your promises are real and I can be sure because you are God. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, God is smiling. He longs more than anything else for people to accept his promise to him, to them. We would love it if you wanted to touch base with us, you can. You can write it in the chat or hit the request prayer button or if you're watching on YouTube, connect with us on at connect at newpeninsula.com.au and one of our team will be in touch and we can talk with you more. For those who've been walking with Jesus already and who have accepted God's promises before, the challenge that I see in this Hebrews 8 passage is the reminder not to fall back into old covenant thinking. Because, as the writer says in verse 13, by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. There's this feeling in our current culture that maybe you've heard people say, I'm a good person, as long as I do enough good to outweigh the bad by the time I die, or as long as I haven't done anything really bad, I'll be right, I'll be saved. Well, effectively, that's saying that I can save myself, I don't need a saviour but what a stressful existence. And I believe that thinking can creep into the life of Christians as well. We can sometimes get so busy doing stuff for God, and maybe we sometimes think that the more we do, the more God will love us, and the more deserving of heaven we will be. And when we make that mistake, we also look around us and judge others for not doing enough. Well, that's old covenant thinking and it just doesn't line up with what the new covenant is all about. Do you remember these telephones, the dial one? We had two of these in our house when I was young or even the earlier mobiles where when you were texting you had to press the buttons way too many times to spell out a simple word. Well I think going back to the old covenant thinking is a bit like how it would feel to go back to a dial phone or an old Nokia for messaging These old technologies have been made obsolete and outdated just as much as the Old Covenant. We don't need to prove our worth to God. He already loves us and is calling us to Him. So let's not fall back into Old Covenant thinking. God urged the Israelites under the Old Covenant to choose life. He gives us that same choice today. But when we choose life today, all that needs to be done has been done let's pray together we praise you god for your promises to us we thank you that in this new way you have made it possible for us to spend eternity with you and that doesn't rely on us thanks god that your promises are real and that because you are god you keep your promise and we can be sure of you thank you for jesus Thank you for your Holy Spirit living in us and thank you that we are forgiven forever when we accept your promise. Help us to live in this new covenant and not look back. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing this next song, Saved My Soul, together.